morning again. Uh, you know, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about what it means for us to have daring faith. We've been looking at uh, the, the stories, the gospel stories that are recorded there in the gospel of John. Uh, this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, we're going to be spending some time looking at Jesus and that, that scene as John's gospel is winding down where Jesus takes the towel of a servant and washes the feet of his followers. I think it's fitting today that we have a special guest with us this morning, Adam Barr from Cumbernauld, Scotland. Uh, I think it's fitting because, as I've told you, I, I feel as if Adam and Melanie and our brothers and sisters there in Scotland, they have to really exert a daring faith, quite unlike what you and I have to exert uh, on a daily basis. They are, are walking among uh, people who are just increasingly uh, secular, if we can use that language, uh, the, the opportunity there to be salt and light and to share the good news of Jesus in Scotland has, has probably never been greater. And so I'm thankful today that Adam can share the good news about what's happening there in Cumbernauld. But before we even get into that, he's going to be centering our thoughts and minds on the word of God from John chapter 13. It's been 30 years since uh, Adam and, and Melanie first came our way as a church family. So for 30 years, we've had a relationship with Adam and have been able to not only cheer him on and, and support the good work that's gone on there in Cumbernauld, but we've been his sponsoring church for 30 years. And so in many ways, this is not like having a, a guest speaker that requires a lengthy introduction. So I'm just going to stop and pray for Adam here in a moment. But this, this is more like just welcoming one of our own home. This is more like family. So Adam, we are so proud of the work God's doing through you and the work you're letting him do. It'd be my honor to pray for you as you uh, now spend some time sharing the good news with us. Let's bow together again. Father God, you're good and we thank you for all that you do. God, I thank you for this good man. I thank you for his family. Thank you for his heart and for his faithfulness to you. God, I pray that you would speak through him today. I pray that we would be better servants because of the word that we hear Adam deliver. Uh, most of all, God, I, I pray that we'd be better servants because we would see Jesus in a new light today. Father, we pray this through Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Um, appreciate those words. It, it's true. It's uh, 30 years, and it, I'm glad to say it actually feels like coming home. Those of you who know me well enough will know how patriotic I am, uh, how much I love uh, my country, and how much I love the church there. But just walking around between the, the Bible class time and uh, worship just did feel right and feels like uh, I belong here and I really appreciate that you guys have helped me feel that way. I bring a great deal of love and greetings from the church in Cumbernauld. They, they know so many of you now and they're looking forward to some of you coming over in July and uh, hopefully plenty more in the years to come uh, and they, they love and appreciate you guys here as well. As Jason says, we're going to be uh, looking at John chapter 13 this morning. And uh, so if you will, let's just read a few verses from that chapter uh, before we make some comments this morning. We're going to read uh, chapter 13, and we'll go from verse 1 through to verse 16. When I came as a 20-year-old to Mayfair the first time, I didn't need these, so this is a, a new edition. I'm still getting used to them. I don't like it at all, but uh, we'll persevere. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 16. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he, had, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. And he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now, I know you've been doing this series on on daring faith, and uh, I must admit it sounds like a very exciting series to be going through and looking forward to going back home and looking up some of those old lessons that Jason has been preaching to you through the Gospel of John. He, uh, I, I mean, we have this, if you're like me, I, I guess it'll be the same here as it is in Scotland. You'll have this image of daring being uh, something that's very dramatic and very impressive and, and you know, maybe like the swashbuckling, swashbuckling pirate who's charging into the battle and, and uh, fighting off the enemy and that sort of thing. In fact, as I was preparing my thoughts for this lesson today, our new brother, William, how, how good is that to be able to say that? Our new brother, William, who you just witnessed putting Christ on in baptism, was watching in the background Indiana Jones. It was the third movie. I'm not even sure what the third movie's called. I've not seen that one, but it did sound very swashbuckling and adventurous, and there was a lot of screaming and shouting and hollering going on. And you, you, you know Indiana Jones is a daring kind of guy. He's not afraid of anyone. He's not afraid of any situation. He'll go anywhere, take on anything, apart from snakes, if I remember. Uh, the first movie, right? But a dare, that, that's daring. You know, that's a picture of daring uh, to me. So what about this uh, idea of daring faith? And so Jason gave me this plan for the, the lessons for the month of March. And I was looking at it, and it sounds great. You know, the, the first one, the first Sunday in March, it was daring faith, Christian cannibalism. And that was from John 6, where Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and then he is... Uh, telling them that he is going to be the one who's going to go to the cross and he is going to give them the opportunity. He's going to be the bread of life. He's going to give them the opportunity to live again. And the challenge was for them to follow him. And of course, many of them left, but it was for those who were going to be daring enough to follow him in, in the way of the cross. And, you know, to be honest, even reading through the synopsis, I have this claymore 
If you don't know what a claymore is, basically it's the William Wallace sword. It's the sword that he used in Braveheart. And I have one of those hanging on my wall. And just thinking about that lesson made me feel like getting that sword off my wall and just charging, uh, if not behind Jason with this lesson, certainly behind Christ and, and into the battle. And it was easily to, easy to picture that uh, idea of daring faith. And then the second Sunday was from John 9, and it was daring faith. I was blind, but now I see. And again, we have the miracle from that chapter in Jesus healing that blind man. And the lesson was going to be about, or has been about, what Jesus, the great things that Jesus was doing. Look at what he's doing now. Look at what he did then. Look at what he's doing now. Uh, and the challenge was going to be uh, to, as Christ uh, shows the way, who's going to trust him? And again, I'm, I'm imagining me waving that sword above my head. And I'm ready to go. It's a big sword, so it's, it's two-handed, you know. And then the, the third one last week, which sounds great, to be honest, it's daring faith. Daring faith, take off the grave clothes. And that's obviously from John 11, where Jesus uh, raises Lazarus from the dead and offers new life to that man and, and new life to that family and, and, exp- and, and, and reveals and demonstrates his power to offer new life to us. New life. I, th- I think we need to be a, a, as amazed at that offer to us, as it must have been amazing to those people who saw new life given to that man physically. It's even more amazing the fact that it's been given to us spiritually, and he demonstrates that power in that story. And so again, waving that sword, swinging it above my head, ready to charge into battle, daring faith, very easy to see in those pictures. Then I got to the fourth one, and I read uh, the lesson that I was to give this morning, and it's uh, daring faith, Lord and servant, from John 13. No miracle, just uh, Jesus bending over, taking a towel, and washing the feet of his disciples, and asking us to follow his example. And not at first sight in great, daring, impressive, dramatic ways. Nothing that, uh, no, no miracle there, nothing that perhaps immediately captures the imagination, certainly nothing that's immediately inspiring or thrilling. In fact, it doesn't really seem that daring at all. But it's serving. It's washing feet. And so as the Lord of all creation stoops to serve in a way that I'm sure most of us would insist is beneath him, he challenges us to follow his example. And I just it just doesn't seem to have the right feeling to be waving the sword above my head and charging into battle. It just, the sword kind of comes down, the arms maybe become a little bit heavy. Now, it, it, certainly when you think about what Jesus is doing here, there's a daring element to it. There, there's, there's drama there. There's certainly drama there. there there's certainly uh, something impressive going on. And if we think about it more and more, yes, it is inspiring, but it's not, it's not exactly swashbuckling. It's not exactly thrilling in the way that those other events uh, would be at our first thought. But but let's just look uh, for a few moments at at what he did in this event. He washed feet. I know as a younger man, I've I've always focused on the, the very specific of what Jesus did there. And so you're trying to get a lesson across to people to what what Jesus is doing and how we follow his example. And I've always been told that washing feet is the lowliest uh, task that one of the servants could be given. This would be the, the most humiliating job that they would be given. So when, I'm trying to get, when, when I have been trying to get that across to people, I've tried to think of what we would compare that to today. What would be the worst job that we could have? What would be the most undesirable 
service opportunity that we could think of. And, that, and, and I guess I would say then in the lesson, that's what we would need to go and do. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. And so I've always looked for that equivalent example that we should follow in today's world, the worst, the lowest, the, the most humiliating task that we could be given. But, is, but I've recently thought, is that what this is all about? Is, is that what's impressive to us? That Jesus performs a service and when he does it, he chooses the lowliest task that, that there is in his culture to wash his disciples' feet. Would it be any less impressive or would it be any more acceptable to us if Jesus was to perform a service that we thought was more in keeping with, with his stature, with his place? Is there a service that he could perform that we would feel was in keeping with who he is? Is there anything, any service that he could take part in that surely we would not jump up like Peter and say, no, Lord, don't do that. That's for us to do. It's not the fact that this is the lowliest job that could have been done. It's just the fact that he served. Jesus, he served. In this occasion, it was washing feet. But but is that... Jesus as a servant, is that not what he always did? Is that not what he was always about? Even in those three lessons that Jason's already given to you this month, is that not what he was doing? People were hungry, so he served them and he fed them. A man was blind and disabled, so he served them and he healed them. A family was hurting because they'd lost a loved one and Jesus Jesus served them, okay, by raising that man from the dead, but comforted them. Is that not what Jesus has always been about? In every story, in every event that you see in Jesus' life in the New Testament, can you not see Jesus serving those people that he loved? He just served. Wherever Jesus was, he, he looked at what the need was and he met it. And he served that need. And on this occasion, it was that the disciples needed their feet washed. And so that's what he did. He served. He didn't go about looking for the big things, in quotation marks, looking for the big opportunities to serve, looking for the impressive opportunities to serve. He just saw needs and he took care of them. And sometimes he did that with a miracle. And sometimes he just did it with a touch. And sometimes he just did it with a word. And probably sometimes he just did it with a look. I know that uh, it's been Jason's habit to to give you a, an object to remember uh, something about the lesson today. And I just uh, was given, before we started, this bottle of water. And turn with, turn with me to get the significance of this to Matthew chapter 25. And let's read uh, <clears throat> a few verses from there. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, 
I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. I love the third verse of that song that we sometimes sing called Follow Me. And it says, Oh Jesus, if I die upon a foreign field someday, it would be no more than love demands. No less could I repay. Greater, no greater love has mortal man than for a friend to die. And then the chorus, is, and then at the end, it's these are the words that he gently spoke to me. If just a cup of water I place in your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. This isn't about Jesus washing the feet. It's about Jesus serving. It's not about us finding the lowliest or finding the biggest or the most impressive or the most dramatic opportunity to, to, to serve. It's just following the example of Jesus and serving. Don't make this about the specifics of what Jesus did. Make this about who he was all the time and what he did all the time. Wherever he was, where, whatever the need was, he served it. And if it's just to give a simple cup of water, that's what we need to be doing. Let's look also at who he did this for, because it mentions Judas here several times, and John points out back in our text of, of uh, John chapter 13, John points out in verse 2 that Satan has already placed it in John's heart, to, to, in Judas's heart, sorry, to betray Jesus. That's already in there. He's already got the He's already decided to do it. He's already thinking about it and how he's going to do it. And John also reveals in verse 10, 11, and 18 of that chapter that, that Jesus knows this, and this is on Jesus' mind, and he's thinking about it. In fact, it impresses me in verse 21 that John reveals to us that when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. I think it's easy for us to think that sometimes Jesus, as the Son of God, dealt with these things very easily that he forgave easily, that he took care of sin easily, that he took care of discouragement easily, and, and, and all of the things, and temptation, all of the things that he went through when he came to this earth. And this bothered Jesus. This was a weight on Jesus' mind. This was difficult for him to deal with, and yet he serves him. He serves Judas, the one that he knows is going to do this. So maybe if we go back to the first point, maybe if we are not the one who looks for the, the, the great ways to serve, the big impressive things to do, the great service opportunities, maybe we are not like that. Maybe we are quite happy to serve in the small ways. Maybe we don't need to be involved in the dramatic services. But maybe we are one of those who, even if we're happy to serve in small ways, maybe we fall into the trap of choosing who we want to serve and choosing who we actually minister to. And I think we see the exact opposite from Jesus here, but there's something even more dramatic about this. Yes, he served Judas, the one who was about to betray him. But if you look back in verse 3, we find something really, really dramatic, and that is that he served him as Lord. John points out in verse 3 that Jesus, well, let's just read it together, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, not only served, but he served the one who was going to betray him, knowing that he was Lord, and this would be the man who would betray him to his death. That knowledge that Jesus was Lord hadn't disappeared. It hadn't been drained from him as, as his time as a human. He hadn't forgotten about it because he was caught up in what was going to happen in the next uh, few days on the cross. None of that had happened. He was Lord, and he knew it, and he served, and he served everybody, even Judas. 
So let's not make this about specifically who we serve. Let's not be in the the business as Christians about choosing who we're going to serve, whether it be choosing the ones that we like, or maybe if we feel like we are uh, some kind of uh, superhuman Christian that we will serve the ones who have hurt us or serve the ones who have done us wrong and follow Jesus. Let's just serve. Let's just serve everybody. Let's just make it about how we serve as far as how we think, our thought process, our motives, or why. And, 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 I'm, and I'm moving on to that about the motives and why, the whys of, of, of our service opportunities, because I think there's something that's less than obvious that we can get here. In verse 3, we're just finding out that Jesus knew his place. Son of God, Lord of all creation, creator of the universe, and he served. Would our serving change if we had the same understanding of our place? Now, our place is not where Christ's place is, because he's up here, and we're, our place is down here. But I think it would do us good to understand, as Jesus knew his place, to also know our place before we go into the service opportunities that will come our way. You see, I believe that most, if not all of you, already serve. And I believe that because we like doing things for people. We like to feel useful. We like to feel needed. We like to feel wanted. We like to feel that we've made a difference. We like to feel like fixers. It feels good. And so I guess sometimes the the danger can be that our service can then become about what we get from it and how we feel and how it makes us feel and the good that we can get from doing those things. I'll give you an example. When I was, when I was in elementary school, there would be opportunities to do things, to serve. Uh, sometimes there would be notes that had to be taken to the principal's office, and the teacher would choose a student to go and do that, or we, someone would have to go around the classrooms and sell the potato chips at, at the interval. My favorite job was taking the milk around the classes. When I, was, when I was in elementary school, every child got some free milk, a little pyramid-shaped carton of milk. And I don't know why it was my favorite, but I love to do that job. But you only got that job if you were far enough ahead with your work. So the benefits of it were you got out of class. It's always a good thing. And secondly, you felt kind of good because you knew you were ahead of everyone. You knew that, I guess, you were top of the class. You'd finished your work and everybody else was perhaps struggling. Now, I don't remember thinking about it at the time, but looking back on that, I I guess I felt better than anyone when I got that job. I guess I felt kind of superior. And even though I was enjoying the service, I enjoyed it because of how it made me feel, not because I got to give out the milk and the children benefited from their milk. It's because of what it did for me. I guess we can fall into that trap even as we serve today. But if we grasp that our service, whatever it may be, however big or small, however dramatic or however ordinary, has nothing to do with us, and it is all about him as our Lord, what does he say? In John chapter 13, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and teacher wash your feet, also you also also ought to go and wash one another's feet. Because he's Lord, we serve. It's about him. However we serve, whoever we serve, it's because he's Lord. It's because he's our Lord. And that knowledge might not change what you do. It might not change how you serve. It might not change who you serve, but it will change why. It will change why you serve. And it will become a daring faith that goes out and serves like that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, we get a beautiful picture of the spirit of service because that passage starts off talking about us being the elect of God. So we're up there now on that. I mean, I love to read that verse. We are the elect of God. 
that makes me feel great. I feel like getting my sword off the wall again. But then the next few verses talks about the fact that because of that, we need to be involved in humility and love and kindness and patience and service and serving one another because it's amazing that God has even chosen us to be his elect. And it's great. The things, the things we get to do in Scotland and the ways we get to serve, the way that you get to do them here, it's great. We love to talk about the church being the salt of the earth and the light to the world, and, and, and we need to do that, as it says in Matthew five thirteen and 14. But I'll tell you what, we need to understand as we serve, and we are those things, that as we go out into the world and we serve by being the Lord's voice to the people around us, we need to remember that we also need to be those people who hang on His every word as they did in Luke chapter 19, verse 47 and 48, where it actually says they were hanging on every word he said. Yes, serve, but remember our place. And it's great to be the hands of Jesus and to go out there and to serve and to minister and to comfort and to give, but let's remember our place in that he is Lord and that we, at the end of the day, are in his hands. And it's great to go out and be the feet of, of God and the feet of Jesus and take the gospel to a lost world and serve them and minister to them and lead the lost to Christ. That's great. But let's remember as we serve in those ways that our place is at the feet of Christ, where he is Lord. We live in a world in Scotland the same as you do, even in the church sometimes, where people would rather be heard than listen. Everybody wants their voice to be heard. Everyone wants to know, everyone wants everyone to know what their opinion is and what they want to say. We live in a world where people would rather take things into their own hands, where they would rather walk their own way and do it their way, rather than just listening to the words of God, even in service, even in worship. These things happen. The challenge this week is to dare to swim against the current and buck all the trends that might be there to serve in a way that makes us feel good, useful, needed, and forget that Jesus is Lord and it is his words that count and that we are just servants for him and that as we serve him, as we serve others, we also do it for him. So go this week and don't just serve, but serve like Jesus all the time, everyone, not choosing the instances, not choosing the people, all people, remembering that he is Lord and we love it. If you are a Christian uh, this morning, I want to read you one verse as we close. And it just simply says, for God is not, un-, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Go out and serve. Serve like Jesus. He's going to remember that. At the end of the day, he's going to know and he is not going to forget. And if you're not a Christian this morning, let me read uh, to you from Matthew chapter 20 about the ultimate act of service that Jesus describes here in verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, you may not be a Christian uh, this morning, You may have, like Peter did in John chapter 13, you may have resisted Jesus' efforts to serve you in that way that he's described in Matthew chapter 20. That he has given his life as a ransom so that your sins could be forgiven. Peter said, you're not washing my feet. Jesus said, if you resist this, you can't have any part of me. If you get one thing this morning about service, it is, it should be this, and that is how Jesus has 
served you, is serving you, will serve you on the cross with his life. Don't be like Peter. Don't resist any longer. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be the recipient of those words, you can have no part of me. Realize that he is your savior and come as we stand this song and make yourself known to this family here and accept the service that Jesus offers. All to Jesus I...